Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. You know, Albert Einstein said, insanity means to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. But what's interesting, life is a lot like doing the same thing over and over again. How many have ever noticed that in your life that you seem to do the same thing over and over again and the same result happened, but for some reason next week we do the same thing over again? And it's, it's one of those paradoxes, it's one of the, the, the dichotomy in our life of trying to understand because when you look at the human story, when you look at history, and when you look at it through the lens of the Christian faith, there's this tug of war. For those of you that adhere to the Christian faith, when we look at the human story, there's this tug of war between human reasoning and the reasoning of God. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but it feels like my life is constantly in this tension. I know the reasoning of God is, is the goal, is, is the ultimate pinnacle of the Christian faith. But because I'm a human, there's always space for me to use my own reasoning. And so it's this constant life and ebb and flow between my own reasoning and the reasoning of God. And then sometimes it gets flipped, like, I don't know if that's my reasoning or his reasoning. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but life is a lot like that. And when I look back on the last however many years, I begin to recognize, like, maybe I'm insane, Maybe Albert Einstein was right, and I'm experiencing that. And it's, it's a little bit of a moment of like, dang, a lot of years have passed. But then the other half of me is like, but I think that's faith. I'd do it again. Uh, let me try that again. I, mean, I know it didn't work last time, but maybe this time. And, and we almost have this view of existential stuff. It's almost like this Russian roulette. Maybe that next time it'll happen. Well, it didn't happen. Okay, maybe this time it'll happen. And so we spend our life in this interesting paradox of how much of it's me and how how much of it's God and how much of it is, I don't know. And I just want to let you in on the reality that I'm in because I think one of the things, we don't talk about this space in our life of like, the reality is we're all doing our best and even at that there's still the struggle of, is this me or is this God? Should I say yes to this or no to that or nothing? Or say yes to all of them and see which one grabs first? Or do I just say no? Or is the light red? Is the light green? Is the yellow? Is there any light? And sometimes life is like that. And it, it's okay to talk about this. And I know that oftentimes when we look at our faith and when we study scripture, the assumption is we should have everything sorted out. And I know the answer. Some of you like, well, the Bible makes it very clear. You're right. I've studied the Bible literally my entire life, and I still have questions. Like, how did this thing work? And something in us wants to formulize everything. Like, make one plus one to make it two. Can we at least figure that out? And some of us search the scriptures with looking for a formula that no theologian in history has ever found, but you'll find it. Like, we literally read the Bible with that idea. I love when someone comes up to me and says, I figured it out. And I'm like, and it's like 
they didn't realize that there are a lot of theologians that have been studying the same scripture, and you're wrong. <laughs> you just can't look at the century after century of some of the smartest, most brilliant, spirit-filled human on earth. They'll tell you you're wrong. And so I just, but I love the curiosity, the, I think I figured it. No one else has figured it out, but I have. And, and I love that. There's a beauty in that. But I, I want to highlight the human struggle of reasoning, of God's reasoning and our reasoning. And what makes it even more complex is we have this tendency, this insatiable desire to control. Let's be real today. Some of the things that we do in our life is purely because we hate being out of control. And we want to be in control. And so we dress it up with language to make it sound spiritual. And the extremity of that is the Holy Spirit told me. So we've created this vernacular, we've created this rigidness in our discipleship, our pursuit of knowing God and following Jesus. And so what we do is we, we can't, because we cannot be in control, we have to be in control. And the only way you can control God is flatten him. The only way that you can even attempt to put your hands on God and control the outcome or formulize him is to flatten him to a one-dimensional way of thinking. And this is why you have what we call different camps in the church. And this is why I'm so grateful Jesus didn't heal a blind person the same way twice. I mean, just imagine if Jesus healed a blind person the same way twice, and the one example we all love is he made mud, he spit into the dirt, and he made mud. And imagine if Jesus did that with 10 blind guys. Do you know what would be at the front of every church across the earth? Buckets of soil that is imported from the region that Jesus did those miracles. There's no doubt. I mean, there'd be an entire industry of excavation. Like within a hundred feet, this is where Jesus performed the miracle. And so we would have buckets of soil and then we'd have courses. <clears throat> it would probably be, we would stretch it out to four to six weeks long, but we'd have courses <laughs> on how to create the proper moisture levels in your mouth to apply to the soil to make the right consistency so it doesn't droop, but it sticks. I mean, we would have, four, you laugh, but this is us. This is humans. And we are so working so hard to get God to be one plus one equals two. And some of us are okay with multiplication and a little bit of algebra, but we keep it basic. And so because we long to be in control, because we long to put our hands on something because when our life is out of control, most people, in order to survive, they have to get back in control. And depending on how broken we are and how wounded we are and the different experiences we've had, some of us lash out in violence and anger or passive aggressiveness, and some of us disappear because we want to be in control. And this is the wrestle. This is the human wrestle. And it's, it's just fascinating to me that 
I don't know about you, but the more I follow Jesus, I don't get more confused. I just get a lot more questions. Confusion isn't the rhetoric, isn't the mood, isn't the theme. But I'll tell you what, I have more questions today than I did last week. And I have so many more questions than I did 20 years ago. In the mid-1990s, uh, they developed a supercomputer. Some of you might remember this, called the Deep Blue. And the whole idea of creating the supercomputer was to, it to play chess against the greatest, many considered to be the greatest, Gary Kasparov. And this specific computer, remember, this is in the 1990s, so imagine computers today. But this specific computer, the Deep Blue, was able to calculate 200 million chess positions per second. So let's talk about the mind of Christ. It's infinite variables. This is why I don't adhere to, I don't adhere to the idea that there's only one way to your future. It's too complicated. It's too, it's, life is too nuanced. And, but what I do know that when you take the left turn, it reroutes. When you make too many left, right turns or going backward, guess what? God's mind is so infinite. The variables are endless. He reroutes everything. But yet we're trying to flatten the multidimensional God. And instead of letting our faith in God increase our curiosity, increase our adventure, our sense of adventure, our ability to dream, uh, some of us, the, our faith, we somehow have allowed it to diminish our curiosity. We've allowed it to diminish it. We've diminished Jesus from a person to a list of fundamentals, of do's and don'ts. You know, God's intention with humans is pretty clear in the Garden of Eden, is to be naked and unashamed and to eat freely. That's the intention of God. I know it's a little bit hard for us to think about being naked at the moment. I understand that. I, I relate to that, but... But in the context, that's actually God's designed it to you to be naked, to eat freely, and to be unashamed. And fast forward, we live in a world now where you're clothes, you're hungry, and you're ashamed. So God's original design is for you to be free, is to be unashamed. If you have your Bible, why don't you go with me to Luke chapter 5. We literally just have a few minutes left, and I'll unpack this a little bit more in the next gathering. But I want to take a very quick trip through Scripture. And this is actually a very Scripture-loaded talk today, and I'll have to just, just kind of condense it for the time's sake. But Luke chapter 5, we're going to pick up in a story of, about a man that, that is, um, we all can relate to on some level. And if you can't relate to this man, then you definitely have someone in your life that you say, yeah, that's that person. And this man's name is Peter. And let's start in Luke 5, chapter 1. Let's, uh, sorry, Luke 5, verse 1. Let's start there, and we're going to read through verse 5. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and was washing their nets. I want you to make a note of that. They were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which is Peter, and asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Verse 4, and when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and cast down your nets for another catch. 
But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Make a note of that. Toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So we have a story here about Jesus and multitudes are following him. This is in the earlier stages of, of Jesus' ministry. Hey, young man. And Jesus is teaching a multitude, and what's happening is the crowd is, is crowding him. I know he's super cute, but you've got to pay attention up here. I have no chance against that man right there. He is so dang cute. With the lighting up shoes, I mean, that's just awesome. So Jesus is teaching a multitude. And they're crowding him, and he, he's having a problem. He, he, they're crowding him so much, so he looked over, and he sees a couple boats. And he asked the owner, Peter, he said, will you let me sit on your boat and just push me off so I can have a little bit of a platform so I can teach and talk? And while this is happening, the disciples are washing their nets. Uh, they weren't disciples yet. The, these men were washing their nets. And the story is just fascinating because it's, it's so relatable. And I want to take a moment, just pause and look at this moment. And I love what Jesus does because we can read the whole story and we can ask a few questions. And I don't know about you, but Jesus is very inefficient here. Incredibly inefficient here with these fishermen. Because if you want them to go fishing again, you might as well catch them before they clean their gear. You might as well wait, or not wait, say, hey, before you clean up, before you put everything away, go try it again. But instead, Jesus goes, I'm going to let them put everything away. I don't know about you, but that is so how Jesus seems to work in my life and I know in your life. He waits till you have done everything. Like he doesn't interrupt you mid-sentence or mid-action or mid-year or mid-attempt. He doesn't interrupt. He just said, I'm going to let Eric finish this out. And I'm like, God, tell me what to do right now because I'm about to do X, Y, or Z. And it'd be great if you told me if it was X, Y, or Z. And he's like, no, you just do whatever you want to do. And so Jesus waits, he teaches, and he looks over, they're all done. And then he tells them, hey, go back out and cast your nets. You see, cast your nets is a very natural, the very relatable human experience. How many have ever cast your nets before? and nothing was caught. How many have ever applied for that job and you never got it? How many tried to hook up with someone and start a relationship with someone and they totally turned you off? How many have ever gave God a chance and it seemed like it fell, it was a dud? How many are so burnt out on church you see, casting your net again is a very relatable human experience. And I want to stand here today, and I want to say it's time to cast your nets again. And I love it because Peter said, Master, we have toiled all night long. So what Jesus is asking them to do is to go back in that reality of despair, of darkness, of empty-handedness. Go back into that same reality and do it again. And I know some of you in this room right now are in a spot in your life like, I am tired of trying. And some of you are like, I'm going to try this one more time. And I don't know how to understand it, but this is where human reasoning ends, and this is the reasoning of God enters. And Jesus says, cast your net again. 
And Peter does something pretty phenomenal. He's like, all right. And he called the master. So what we can learn from that, he says, there's a recognition of who Jesus was. So Peter picked up his stuff, goes back out and cast the net. And the rest of the story goes like this. There was so much fish, it would begin to break the nets. And then in that moment, Peter submits his entire life to Jesus. He begins to repent. He begins to weep on the beach. And he begins to Jesus. And in Luke 5, we are introduced to Peter, the disciple that Jesus eventually says, I'm going to build a church on you. This is the beginning of the three-year journey. Now I want you to jump down to, if you want to make a note of it, we're not going to read the passage, but I want you to make a note of it. Luke chapter 22. This is roughly three years later. And what happened three years later is Jesus is heading to the cross. He's heading to his death and eventual resurrection and an ascension back to the Father. We are literally days before this moment. And the crazy thing is Jesus tells Peter, remember, this is the guy that, that did some pretty wild things in his following of Jesus for three years. This was the one that we always say he was the most courageous, the most bravest, and the loudest. This is him. And in this moment, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to reject me. And Peter laughs at Jesus. There's no way I'm going to reject you. All the other guys will, but I never would. And then Luke 22, we stumble upon this moment where Peter finds himself denying Jesus three times, just like Jesus said. And after the third time, it's hard, we're going through this on a quick pace, but there's this moment where someone asks Peter, you're with Jesus, and he denies him for the third time. The rooster crows, and then Jesus and Peter lock eyes. Imagine the despair in that moment for Peter. Imagine, how do you go from the guy in Luke 5 who forsook all to follow Jesus to now denying him three years later? How do you get there? I know some of you in this room are like, I would never do that, but be careful. We don't realize how fragile we may be in the context of experiencing life. And this is why it's such a wrestle between human reasoning and the reasoning of God. And so Peter and Jesus lock eyes. And Peter realizes he actually done the very thing that he said. He would, Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And so imagine Jesus now going to the cross, losing Peter. I know Jesus had a lot going on at the time. I mean, he was thinking about a lot of things. He was thinking about all of humanity. So I don't know how much Peter was in his psychological space. But I'll tell you what, Peter and Jesus were pretty tight. And I would imagine there's some effect on the reality of of Jesus going, I just lost someone that followed me for three years and they denied me. Perhaps Jesus knew the rest of the story, I don't know. But that has to hurt to be betrayed. Some of you know betrayal very well. It's one of the most worst human experiences is to be betrayed. So Jesus goes to the cross and imagine Peter recognizing what he'd done and now he's looking at Jesus going through the worst moment in his life and Peter's the one that denied him so Jesus dies, and they put him in the tomb. And imagine Peter, imagine the psychological spiraling that took place, the emotional tumult. Imagine just, just the space Peter was in. And then Jesus raises from the grave, and Peter hears about it and runs to the grave. And he's like, oh, my gosh, Jesus not died. He rose from the grave. Maybe there's a chance to see him again. And days go by. 
And there's this moment in John chapter 21, if you want to turn there, we're going to kind of end on this passage. John chapter 21. And between the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus appears to multiple disciples. He begins to appear. He gets to make the guest appearances. And from what we can gather, he's not made himself known to Peter yet. And imagine Peter being in that space like, I want to make this right. John chapter 21, verse 1, it says this. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I just find this funny. This is what we do. When life is not going well, guess what? We go to our past. We do the things we know we can do. Because you can't stay put, and you don't know how to move forward, so I'm just going to do my old ways. I'm going to do my old job. And the other disciples said, we're going too. Why? Because it was their former occupation. So now they're fishing. What's interesting is they caught nothing again. So according to the Bible, Peter catches nothing, and he was called a fisherman. There's no story of of Peter actually catching any fish unless Jesus shows up. (laughs) I don't know know how Peter can call himself a fisherman when he can't catch fish unless Jesus shows up. So in verse 3, it says, They went out, immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. And when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I would remember that moment from three years prior. I wonder if they're like, wait, we've heard this before. I I remember this experience three years ago when I gave my life to Jesus, when he said, cast your net on the other side. I wonder if one of them or some of them go, hey, guys, is that him? And then someone says, hey, I think that's Jesus. And this most amazing moment happened. It's Peter, who had no clothes on because of the kind of fishing of going in and out of the water. He puts his clothes back on and then jumps back into the water. I don't know about you, but swimming with clothes on is really challenging. But Peter puts his clothes on and he swims to shore. And what we read in the rest of this passage is the restoration between Jesus and Peter. Peter denied him three times. I don't have time to unpack this, and, but I want to say this. It's time to cast your nets again. This is a moment in your life that I believe you have to let go of human reasoning and embrace the reasoning of God. What explains fish are six feet over on this side of the boat? I don't know. I have applied for the job after job after job. What's different about this application? I don't know, but somehow the fish were over here and not there. I have tried to give God a chance in my life, and I'm tired of being let down. I don't know, but you need to cast your net again. I've tried to see a healing take place in my life over and over. I've been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know, but the fish were six feet over. For some reason, it was right there. 
I've tried to build relationship. I've tried to create friend group. I've tried to feel known and belong. And I've given up. Guess what? Cast your net again. So church, I want to challenge you this season to cast your net again. Why don't you stand? As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you and challenge you. Our faith needs to remain faith. If your faith in God had become about a fundamental list of do's and don'ts, I don't know if you can call it faith anymore. So your faith needs to remain faith. It needs to remain full of trust and taking risk and being curious and adventurous and stepping into an unknown and I'm going to cast my nets again. I'm going to keep casting those nets even if I've done it all night, I'm going to do it again because of my faith puts the trust in someone else and not myself. Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week and we'll see you soon.